Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can recognize this morning that you did indeed pay it all. We thank you that you willingly came into this world, became a child, grew into a man, and at a young age, sacrificed yourself for the sins of the world. That's an awesome thing to stand before and to even think and consider this morning. But we pray, Lord, that our worship would be honorable, that our words would lift you up, and that your word this morning would hold power and convict as we continue our series. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. You know, we've been, uh, we've, been, we've been talking through the book of Philippians. And if you were here last week, we, we made a, a pretty big pronouncement. We just said that uh, for most people, if you were to ask them, how do you get right with God? How do you have a relationship with God? If anybody was to ask you, how do, do you get to heaven? Uh, the natural response, the normal response, the kind of, the kind of response that we would, we would naturally run into and... and, 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 and and just say at the top of our natural thought would be is that we got to be good. That whatever we do, we've got to change our lives somehow. I've got to do something about it. I've got to start being good. I've got I to stop doing this and start doing this. I've got to stop being like this. I've got to start doing this. And, and, and for some of us, it's, some, it's something very natural. It's, it's, it's even just going to church. It's even just going to uh, be with a group of people or starting a Bible study or something. There, there, there's something inside of us that says, I've got to do something if I'm going to have a relationship with God. And we said that's all very well and good, and, and there's a lot of, of the Bible that affirms that kind of mindset. But the problem is the Bible affirms it only after something significant happens. And we talked last week that that significant thing, that step number one, is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That, that as, 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 as tension-filled as that is for many of us in the world around us, that the reality is that if there's one thing that Jesus was really, really, really clear about, is salvation, this thing that we call being born again. You can, you can argue all kinds of things in the Bible. You can argue about you know, the, the, how many times to have communion, what baptism you know, really means, and, and how much of the spiritual element, physical element. All, well, you, you can argue a hundred different things, a thousand different things, a million different things in the Bible. But if there's one thing you cannot argue about, it's this one thing that Jesus was very, very clear about, that the road to heaven is a very narrow road. And, and he said, he said that the way to life is a very, very narrow road. Now, the, the, now the difficulty is, is, is if you play the good game, right, the good game is it's kind of like spiritual roulette, isn't it? It's kind of like a spiritual lottery. You don't ever know if you've ever been good enough. Right, you kind of you kind of spinning the dial, and, and and there's nothing anywhere, and there's whole faiths that are built on this. There's nothing anywhere that says, okay, as soon as you've done this amount of good, that you're okay, right? And 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 no one's ever said, you know, I did this really bad thing when I was younger, 
and, and it still haunts me, and uh, I did time for it, you know, like, you know, like, but no one ever says, has ever been able to say that one thing, how many good things do you have to do before God says that bad thing is taken care of, Right? So it's a bit of a spiritual roulette. It's a bit of a spiritual lottery if you want to play that particular game. And, and the problem is playing that game is, is, is it does something to us inside. It makes us think, right, that we can fix everything on our, on our own. And the reality is that for most of us, you know that you can't. Or we can make things right on our own. And we know the reality of that as well. It's very hard to do that. But you know, something else happens. And we, we talked about this last week. And I don't want to belabor it. If, if, if you weren't here last week and want to hear the message from last week, but we're just summoning it up. But here's what ends up happening is that when you take the good road, a lot of times what happens is that your accomplishments or, or your good works start becoming an element of pride in your life. Look what I've done for God. Look what I'm doing for God. Look what I've accomplished for God. And, and, and in a very, very uh, kind of sneaky way, you start ending up with this sense of spiritual pride. And what ends up happening over time is the very relationship that you wanted to build with God, you actually begin to build a wall between you and God. That is why, that is why, you know, for Christians, it's very evident that our faith is in Jesus and in Him alone. Everything that we do past that is really a benefit to ourselves and to the, to the Lord. You know, we said, Jesus said, if you want life, you have to take the narrow Road, And he said that the narrow road is going to be the difficult road. In fact, mo- most people see this wide road that Jesus says in the, in, in the very next part of that, of, the, of that passage, that people are going to look at the wide road, and the wide road is going to look natural. It's going to look normal. It's going to look easy. All I've got to do is just, you know, be the right kind of person, do the right kind of thing, act in the right kind of way, and I'm going to be okay before God. I'm going to be all right. And in fact, for many of us on the narrow road, we're kind of looking over. Oh, I, I, okay, that's coming later. Okay, because, because the reality is the, the narrow way, Jesus said, is going to be difficult. And for many of us who have walked in faith for a long, long time, you can affirm that. You can say, you know, this has really been a difficult road. This has really been a, a hard thing to walk to be faithful to God. Isn't it? And you've had many, many challenges along the way. Very many challenges along the way. And last week we looked at the Apostle Paul as we looked in Philippians. And the Apostle Paul did this amazing thing, and I've always been struck by it. The Apostle Paul says, okay, if you want to play the good game, I've got all this credential, all these credentials. I've got, look what I've done. Look, look what I've accomplished. Look, look, look at my standing in the society and the culture around us. Look at all these things. So if you want to play that game, let, you know, let's compare notes. And I've got all of this on my side of the equation. I've got all this, all this stuff in my asset column. And if you think that is going to get the job done when it comes to a relationship with God, you're, you're mistaken. In fact, Paul calls all of that stuff garbage. 
believe it or not. Some of you have worked very hard to get where you are today and to think that Paul calls that garbage. That, that really kind of is not a settling place to be, is it? When he says, when you compare it to a life of faith in Jesus Christ, like that's how strong his language is. Okay? So it's very, very important. Now, we're going to just continue from last week because Paul does something very interesting. We talked about taking the narrow road, um, how you get on that narrow road, this whole thing called being born again, this whole thing called salvation. But what happens when you're on the narrow road? What happens from there? So we're going to continue reading. And we're into chapter 3, and we're starting at verse 12, and we're going to put it up on the board here for you. This is what Paul says. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved all these things or that I have already reached perfection. And he's talking about the spiritual life, okay? He's talking about reaching perfection in the spiritual life, all right? He goes, I I love this, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. In other words, Paul is saying Christ went ahead of us. Christ accomplished everything. We don't have to work for it. We simply have to follow after Jesus because he first possessed me by what he accomplished on the cross, what he did in terms of salvation. I just follow after in faithfulness. All right? He goes, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Okay? Great passage. What happens when we travel the narrow road? Now, Paul's using the, the, the illustration, by the way, of, of, uh, of a race of a runner running a race. And in that, t- and in that time, by, by the way, here's, here's, here's where this illustration is born out of. It's born out of the Greek Olympics. Okay, if you know anything about the Greek Olympics, they didn't wear anything. It was naked. Okay, <laughs> right? And the reason, the reason they did uh, running naked, because they didn't want anything to slow them down. Any, like they didn't have latex and all that kind of stuff, you know, like whatever lycra or whatever that, that you could run. Their, their concept of doing sports is anything that would weigh them down, they took off. Okay? That was just, that was just the way they, you know, they wrestled naked. They, like, they did all this stuff. Okay? But that's, but that's the illustration behind all of this. He says, I press on because the goal is that important and I get rid of everything that's going to be in the way. Okay, so that's the cultural illustration behind that. I know that disturbs some of you, but that's the, or most of you, but that's, that's the cultural illustration that Paul is making about running the race. Okay, here are, the, here are four things that come out of this passage that I think we, we have to talk about when, when we get on the narrow road. The very first thing is this. Jesus is the one leading we follow. Jesus is the one leading we follow. It's very important that, that, that we remember this. It's interesting to me that Jesus talked in terms of believe in me and follow me. Believe in me and follow me. And oftentimes, those two phrases came together. When Jesus would talk to the disciples, when Jesus would talk to anybody on the side of the road, say, follow me. 
It had an element of belief in it. And Jesus was, was encouraging people to walk behind him, to walk as he walked, to live life as he lived life. It was never this, this mental ascension of just belief. Because in that day and age, to follow a rabbi meant that you modeled his life, that he spent every moment with you, and that you saw the way he lived, you saw the way he reacted, you saw the disciplines that he added into his life. And when Jesus said that, that's exactly what people heard. So, you know, someone like Matthew, for instance, Jesus came up to, the, to Matthew, the tax collector, and he said, follow me to Matthew. The tax collector, right? And what Matthew would have heard right away is that, okay, you want me to follow you. In other words, you want me to get up from my tax stand, the money that I'm making, all the life that I have built. It's my life, even though many people don't like me, and start following you in a brand new way. And Jesus would say, yeah. And, you know, I think it's kind of funny because I think in the background, Peter and the other disciples are going, uh, Jesus, hang on a sec. Do you know who this guy is? Are you sure you want him to come along? Right? But Jesus is the one. So it's not, this, is, this isn't a haphazard journey. Jesus is talking very, uh, you know, very powerfully into our lives about transforming the way we live our lives each and every day. Each and every day. That Jesus is walking ahead of us and we have often just enough light to see the next step in front of us and often no more than that. That's the reality about walking in faith. Is that God often gives us just enough to see the next step ahead of us. Okay? That Jesus is leading, we follow. Second thing is don't look back. Boy, there's, this is, this is a, a, a four-part series, by the way, just this one phrase alone. Don't look back. Again, we talked about the, Im, the imagery. And Paul is saying, if you're leading in the race, and if you're running in the race, and you're doing the very best you can, you don't stop and look around to see where everybody else and what everybody else is doing. Because you know what happens if you do that. You could potentially lose the race if you get distracted Paul's talking about don't let those kinds of things of the past distract you, okay? Pay no attention to what's behind you, but pay attention in moving forward. There's, there's something about this passage that's really troublesome because Paul is talking very much about don't allow time to pass you by. There's two things that we often do in life. We look at our past successes and we say, I've done it now and I'm okay. And, we, and how many of us live on our past successes and our past glories and say, hey, I'm okay, right? That's, you know, I'm done with that. I can just rest, relax. I can just be whatever, okay? But there's something in this passage that says, you know what? If you do that, something's, something wrong is going to happen. It's not a good thing. You need to continue running the race. You don't need to let those past successes define exclusively who you are. That there's much more to life than that. Much more the life. If you're, you know, and this is, by the way, by the way, this is one of the most dangerous things for a church. Period. When, when our past glories 
are greater than our future hopes and expectations of what God's going to do, the church is already dead. This is, this is a huge issue. When I hear people say, I wish we were like the first century church, that is like, that's nails in a coffin right away. That is, that is just so not understanding how God has planted us into our culture, this world, right now, to make a difference right now. Not to celebrate the glories of the past. We celebrate those, but we build on those. They're moments of, 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 of great celebration, but we don't rest there. We don't long for those days again. That's a huge mistake. And, and you know what? I'm just as, I'm just as nostalgic as, as anybody, but it's a dangerous thing to get into when the past glories of the church determine what we're going to do for the future. That's, a, that's, that's, that's huge. This, the second thing we do is we let past pain and past hurts and past failures kind of define who we are for the rest of our lives. And we see that. And there's a part of us that say, you know what? I've been told. I was shown. I was hurt. This happened to me. And suddenly, everything that happens in our lives, all the, all the, all the times that God is trying to do something in your life, all get framed by that pain, by that hurt, by that failure. And instead of it becoming a teaching moment, it becomes the new thing that defines you. And God never intends for that to happen. Success is not forever. And failure is not final. Success is not forever. And failure is never final. Especially the second one. The second one is probably the most difficult for us to resonate, to, to kind of unload or get rid of or, or, or transform, allow God to do something in our lives. Because it's so difficult for us often to just offer up that pain and allow that pain to totally be given to God. Because we want to hold some part of it back. We want to say, no, you know, I, I, you know this, this kind of defines me, Lord, so I don't want to give it back to you. Because this is really, has, has, has molded and shaped my attitudes, my life, the, the way that I see myself. And even though it's painful and hurtful, it does get comfortable after a while. And when God comes along and wants to extricate that from your life totally, you can feel the pain of it being pulled away because we get very comfortable with it. Paul is very adamant that that's going to not be very helpful because success isn't forever and failure isn't final. Here's the next one. Focus ahead. Paul clearly has the finish line in sight. He realizes that destination matters. That if we're not clear about destination, if we're not clear about the goal, if we're not clear about the finish line, how do we run that race? You know, we live in a culture that says it's all about the journey, but that's not right. It's about the journey, sure, but it's about the journey that you take recognizing the destination you want to get to, right? For us, in, in, in terms of the Christian, uh, it's, it's, it's 
becoming more like Jesus, growing in our faith, growing in the spiritual walk, growing in our relationship with God. And it's very clear what you have to walk to be able to do that. Very clear. Very clear. It's interesting, you know, how many of you have read Malcolm Gladwell's The Outliers, The Story of Success? Have anybody, yeah, how many? Okay. Wow. He introduces uh, a, a, a principle in that book called the 10,000 hours, right? And, and he goes on to prove whether it's the Beatles, whether it's Bill Gates, whether it's Steve Jobs, whether it's Mozart, no matter what, all, all these great people who have accomplished something in, in a particular field, he's gone ahead and shown that they have worked 10,000 hours to get there. You know, many people think the Beatles just showed up and started playing, but, you know, how many, you know, but they, they played for years and years and years in, in these small clubs, seven days a week, eight hours a day, you know, playing and playing. When they, when they finally got in front of a big crowd, it was like by memory, it was like they just could do it, right? Bill Gates, everybody thinks the whole computer thing just started, you know, this, this, these guys were up night and day and had, 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 uh, opportunities to go into these universities and spend countless hours in, a, in, in computer rooms that many people didn't have access to and just work and work and work and work away. And when, and when the door opened and opportunity you know, offered itself up, these guys had all, were already so far ahead of everyone else. Same with Mozart, you know, like he was a genius, but his, his real creativity and his real concertos didn't become, you know, to the degree of world class until he was like 21, 22 years old, even though he had been writing concertos for 10 years. So there's something to be said. If, if, that's, if that's true for something like computer programming, what does that say about your spiritual life? How many of us think an hour... Sunday morning is enough. Right? If, 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 if 10,000 hours to get to the mastery, you know, what happens to our spiritual life? This is what Gladwell writes, and he goes, The emerging picture from such studies is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve the level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert in Anything. Wow. What does that say about your spiritual life? And it's interesting. That's, that's, one of, that's one of the key reasons why we adopted Think Orange here. Because we recognize that when it comes to, you know, if we're going to just talk about the children's ministry, to have them just an hour a week to make an impact when the home, when, when, when school, everyone else has them for much more intensive time. Investment, focus, focus is really, really important. Now, here's a ditty we, we, uh, we, we did in the sermon series last year, and I was reminded about it just this week. But whatever gets your attention sets in motion a direction that ultimately determines your destination. Whatever has your attention sets in motion a direction that ultimately determines your destination. So what has your attention this morning? What has your attention, the primary thing in your life? 
Paul is really adamant about the focus that you need to have in your life. Because what has focus? Here's the fourth thing out of that passage is don't give up. Don't give up. The Bible says a lot about perseverance. The Bible says a lot about don't give up. Keep going. That it's going to be hard. You know, every one of us in our spiritual, in our spiritual lives, in our, in our faith walk, we all have stories about those difficult times. God wasn't listening. The church did this to me. Uh, the community did that to me. Uh, I, I felt so alone. You know, stories after stories after story after story after story. But the admonition from the Bible is continually don't give up. How, it's amazing to me how many people's faith has been shipwrecked because of something that has happened. And, you know, we're human. We make mistakes. And I say it all the time. I'm going to fail you, period. I do not want to be in a place where people are going to put expectations on me because I know, humanly speaking, at some point, I'm going to fail you. That's the reality. And I never want to be in a place where the expectations are such that I... I you know, that's the reality. We do our very best. We have a great staff here. We have a great leadership here. We have a great group of people. But every one of us will know that in some way, we're going to make a mistake. We're going to fail you. Please don't give up because we make a mistake. Don't give up because someone in the church made a mistake. Don't give up. That is so important to persevere. You know, the community is so, so important. And, you know, you know we, and here's, here's the difficult part. We live in an instant gratification culture. We live in a culture that drive through. You can even get drive through marriages now. Right? It's, it's, it's like everything. drive through baptism. I heard, I heard some church was doing drive through. I don't know how you do that, but anyway. You, gotta, you, know, you, know, like, you get the hose out. You know? <laughs> right? You know. Or something. I, I don't know. Like, I, I just, how do you do that? Right? But we live in a drive through everything. Right? Instant gratification for everything. There was a time you bought a house. You had it empty for years until you were able to afford to buy furniture. And then when you bought the furniture, then maybe you thought about buying food. Anyway, maybe you thought about having kids. You know, you know, like all that kind of stuff. But now, you, you know, it all comes. You get, you get married. You get the house. You get the furniture. You get the two cars. You get the... And then we say to you, spend some time with God. And it's like, oh, do you know what my life's like? You know what I've got to do in a day? Right? It's, it's just, but don't, don't, don't give up. This is why the church is so important. Church is so important. I, I, I want to continue because I want to finish up with, with some last thoughts here. This is really important. He goes on to say in verse 17, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your life after mine and learn from those who follow our example. I don't know about you, but to, you know, Paul is saying, my life is, a, is an example of all this. Boy, that's a heavy, right? And, and pattern your life after those who follow Paul's example. Wow. Let's, okay. Uh, you're going to have fun in life groups about that one. All right? No doubt about it. Okay, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are those, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies 
of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Now, I've got to be really honest with you. I was going to avoid this passage altogether. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do it. Okay? I want to highlight something. Notice the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm going to say this and there's tears in my eyes. I, I, I think that is amazing for this man of God who is in prison right now for his, for his faithfulness to God. And he says, I'm going to say something really, really hard, but I, I'm doing it with tears in my eyes. He is very emotional about what he just says. And I want to acknowledge this section, all right? Paul actually uses the term enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but in our culture, in our day, this is a very uncomfortable place to be. To term anything that is against Jesus, against the cross, as enemies. We don't like going there because we have a whole history of what happens is when we take this too far. When we don't acknowledge this in, 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 in the way that as Christians we are to act in grace and with love. And I've said this constantly. The violence of New Testament Christianity is never external. It's always internal. And I, and I use that word violence all the time because the strong language in the Bible is all about your character being molded after Jesus. And Paul often uses very strong language about that violence, internal. Right? But it's never used in an external way to somebody else. Okay? It's always these, these admonitions to be graceful, to be loving, to be merciful, all of those kinds of things. Paul is very adamant, though, that there's something theological that we have to acknowledge when people come up and say, you know what? It's okay if you're just good. Okay? So this is, this is I, I, you know, I want to acknowledge it. But if, if, if we don't acknowledge this, then how do we know, right, how, how, to, how, to, how to counteract it, right? How can we protect ourselves from it? How can we protect ourselves from it and, and, and know what, what it is that we need to accept, reject, you know? And, and this is a really uncomfortable thing for me because... Because, you know, statistics show that, that the reason many young people are leaving the church is because it's too judgmental. So to stand up here and talk about this is a really tough subject, but it's the reality. It's the reality. And, and to not acknowledge a theological distance between what Christianity admonishes and what other religions and faith, it's, you know, it would... It, 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 would be, it would be wrong of me to stand up here and not acknowledge this passage. Because we have to know right from wrong. We have to know it theologically. Because how do we protect ourselves from it? How do we protect our children from it? How do we protect the, you know, the next generation from it? How does Christianity continue? And how do we counteract it? And I don't mean counteract it in a militant way. I'm talking about how do we show people what the reality is? How do we counteract that? Okay? And here's the other thing. Unless we acknowledge it, we will never take the gospel seriously. 
the fact that Jesus died for the sins of the world. That's, you know, if, 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 if you don't acknowledge that, then suddenly the gospel loses a lot. Okay? I know this is a really, really hard subject. But Paul brings this up. Paul brings this up now because he's recognizing something, that as we get on that narrow road and as we're walking, we are going to be attacked. I don't know how many times, listen, I don't know how many times I've heard people who have just come to faith and they've said something like this to me. They said, you know, my life was great until I became a Christian and all of a sudden everything fell apart. That's not very encouraging, right? You know? But the reality is, the devil doesn't like it. And he was just ignoring you before. But now you literally have claimed mutiny. And he doesn't want to let you go. Okay? Doesn't want to let you go. Here are two, traveling down the, the narrow road, two, two things I want to... I want to acknowledge about when, when enemies appear. Here are Satan's... You know, when you talk about Satan, you talk about what the Satan do, the first thing you're going to do is, is say he does evil and he wants us to do evil. Um, that's overstating it. Here are the two things that the devil does. Primary things that he does. Primary goals. Number one is to keep us away from Christ. Is to keep us away from Christ. Right? That's a primary goal of Satan is to keep us away from Christ. Ask the question, whatever it is that you have in your life, ask the question, what is this going to do to my faith? Very important question. Whatever it is in your life, you ask yourself, you frame it or whatever, and you just say to yourself, what is this going to do to my faith? Great question to ask. Because Satan wants to keep us from Christ. So he'll, he'll and, and, and Jesus said, he is a liar, he is the father of lies, and he's been a liar since the beginning. That's what Jesus said about Satan. Here's the second thing, to make believers ineffective. To actually take away your testimony. And that's another great question to ask. What is this going to do for my testimony? What is this going to do for my witness to the people around me? If I engage in this, those are two great questions because there's nothing that the devil likes more than to make you useless is to take is to take what God has done in your life and to wash it away and to make and make everybody look at you and say, ha, who would like to ever have that? Right. To keep you from Christ and to keep you ineffective. And here's the last thing I want to say. Never confuse a victim of the enemy with the enemy himself. We love to victimize people. We love to label people. But never confuse a victim of the enemy with the enemy himself. There's, it's a difficult for us to sort of see past the person or see past the, past the issue, to see where the real problem is. But we love to objectify people and to treat them as evil. But theologically, it's very, very important to see past that and never confuse a victim of the enemy with the enemy himself. All right? Um, you know, a, a, a beautiful story. I've always loved it. St. Thomas Aquinas. Have you ever heard of him? Okay, famous, uh, uh, you know, 
uh, medieval theologian, and, and I can't remember the exact year. But anyway, his family was very, very wealthy, and they hated the fact that he became a Christian. He hated the fact. He was a very quiet child. He was very, uh, loved solitude. You know, the family, uh, you know, had other brothers and I think sisters even. The family hated the fact that he became a Christian. They hated the fact so much. And in fact, he walked away from, from, from the whole family, the whole family, uh, rich, richness and, and the whole, um, what they stood for. He walked away from it. And he said, Mom, Dad, I'm going to become a monk. And he, and he joined this, this monastery that was just um, quiet, solitude, study, all of that. They hated it so much. You know what his family did to him? This is what his family did to him. They locked him up in a room, and they said, we're going to fix him. And they, and they sent in a naked woman. That's his family. They were so bothered by his faith. That's what they did to him. You know what he did? He took a, 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 a burning stick out of the fireplace and chased her out of the room. And then he, he scorched a cross on the back of the door. And then locked the door and was fine. You believe that? That was, that was his family. Anyway, I always thought that was a really cool story. <laughs> anyway, don't even have time to use it. You know what? No. It was just, but, but talk about focus. Talk about focus, especially in the midst of his own family trying to do him in. Here's a couple of quotes. Here's number one from C.S. Lewis. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Isn't that a great quote? If you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. If you just aim at earth, you're going to get neither. And here's a really nice quote from Ronald Reagan. It's hard when you're up to your armpits and alligators to remember you came here to drain the swamp. (laughs) Again, a phrase about focus. That we can get so distracted by all this other stuff that when we're running the race, when we get on the narrow road, when we're not looking at the prize, when we're not moving ahead like Paul says, when we're thinking about the things in the past, that we can forget, because we're up to our armpits and alligators, that we came to drain the swamp. Okay, I want to just close with this. Um, you know, I was working through this message and... and, and and again, I'm always trying to figure out how to wrap it up. All of a sudden, a blog entry came in from Perry Noble, who's the pastor of New Spring down in the States. And he wrote about focus. And I, it just, you know, you know, when just something shows up on your computer and you're going, no. Talk about timing. But this is what he wrote. He, you know, he goes, where is our focus? And I just want to read it for you. And I want you to hear it. And I want you to just think and consider through it. If I focus my abilities on my abilities, I will always feel overwhelmed and inadequate. But if I focus on who God is and what he has done, I will feel confident and secure. If I focus on what others say about me, I will feel either pride or pain. If I focus on what God says about me, I will feel appreciative and thankful. 
If I focus on what the world says, I will always change my mind to agree with the culture. If I focus on what God says, I can live a life based on conviction rather than convenience. If I focus on what the world says about money, I will most likely be broke. But if I focus on what God says about money, I will be blessed. If I focus on what the world says about relationships, then that part of my life will likely be marked with pain, frustration, and regret. If I focus on what God says about relationships, then that part of my life will be marked by joy, life, and victory. If I focus on what the world says is valuable, I will waste my life in pursuit of meaningless things. But if I focus on what God says is valuable, I will invest my life in things that matter for eternity. If I focus on what the world says about the church, I will see it as either useless or something I can use. But if I focus on what God says about the church, I will honor his bride and treat her with honor and respect. If I focus on what the world says about problems, I will be in a constant state of worry and stress. But if I focus on what God says about problems, I will see they are nothing more than opportunities to know him and see how truly great he is. If I focus on my past, I will live in defeat. And if I focus on my potential in Christ, I will live with victory. If I focus on this life, I will have zero urgency to share the gospel. If I focus on the fact that eternity is a reality for every person on this planet, I will do all that I can to share the gospel with those that I claim to love and care about. Let me ask you this morning, what's your focus? What kind of race are you running? What are you looking for when you look ahead? What are you allowing behind you to slow you down? As we consider these things, I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Um, I think, I think this passage has, has spoken to many of your hearts, and I think this book continues to speak to many of your hearts. So as we bow our heads, let's consider what we have heard today. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you again for the powerful writing of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the way he can speak so amazingly your truth and and really hit home on some very real applicational aspects of our lives. So Lord, with the challenge in place, we pray that this week we'll be reminded and maybe we'll ask ourselves, what truly is our focus? Where are we heading? Am I on the narrow road? Am I pressing forward? Am I allowing anything behind me to harm my progress forward. And Lord, are there enemies in my life, even though that's a hard term to use, that maybe I I need to open my eyes to and find a way to work through those. So Lord, again, we thank you for the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.